Welcome to Data Hurdles, a weekly podcast where we explore the impacts data and technology have on our day-to-day lives. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. All right. Well, welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing well, Chris. It's been a busy day, Monday, you know, a little off our routine of our recording date, but it's good. Uh, Excited to be here. And today we're going to talk about data pipelines. And the way to kind of see data pipelines, for me to understand it, I had to do a little bit of digging. And this one guy put it, it's it's out on YouTube. Maybe I'll push it out into the the notes. But basically he said, look, it's very simple. It's kind of like, you know, you have your your lakes, your like let's look at water. You have your lakes, you have your oceans, and you have some rivers, right? Right now, it's just dirty. You can't drink it. You can't take a shower in it. You can't do anything. I mean, you could go for a swim or something, maybe. But, uh, but then from there, to to be able to make it drinking water and and to make it clean, you have to you have to build these pipes that really go directly to what like a treatment center. So this treatment center will enrich, clean, you know, do all these things to to allow you to drink the water, to wash your clothes and things like that, or to even send it out to agriculture kind of stuff, you know, like, you know, grow your corn and all that kind of stuff. And there's pipes for each one that allows you to do that. And today we'll kind of talk about that, but how data and data pipelines kind of relate to getting clean water and enriched and that kind of stuff. What do you think, Michael? Is that a good I mean, way to say I, it? I love that analogy, Chris. I think that's awesome. You know, and in many ways, if you think about your utilities, right, hmm. there is an entire world dedicated to getting your water clean and delivered to your faucet. And it's the same exact thing in the data world, right? There is an entire world of plumbers or what we call engineers, right? Mm-hmm who are focused on maintaining and governing and facilitating and cleansing this data. And today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what the heck that is, how it works, um, and you know what do we do with it, right? And especially a little tip of if you're new to this space and trying to get involved and do something with data, you have to know pipelines, right? You have to know how to plumb. So we'll dive into it today, um, starting off with like, why do we build data pipelines, right? Why are they important? Well, before that, let's tell me your definition of what do you think, a, or what is a data pipeline anyways? I mean, I kind of give an analogy. Sure, sure. Yeah, so when you think of a data pipeline, you brought up like the ocean, right? We call that just raw data. You know, in, in the real world, you got data that comes from mobile devices, from websites, from all these different third-party locations, IoT devices, and that all has to be put somewhere. And it gets put into this raw state either in like a S3 bucket or some sort of storage, but it's not organized. It's dirty and it needs to be cleansed and enriched and shipped to different places. And the process of shipping that data is what we call a data pipeline. Great, so so why don't we build them? What's the point? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like I just said, right? Data starts in a raw state and then it moves into this clean, enriched state downstream, right? And we use this word downstream a lot, meaning you know, you're coming from an ocean of data, moving down the stream to eventually the consumer of that data, which we don't use the word faucet, but we probably should, right? Um, 
And these pipelines, you know, they're not just shipping the data. They're typically doing things to the data to make it more consumable as well. So we talked about cleansing. There's also filters, masking. We're going to go into a little bit more detail of each of these things, but aggregation, standardization. And really at the end of this pipeline, you have this analysis ready form of easy to consume, easy to understand information that can be used to drive a business process or make a critical decision. Um, so, so what are some of the different parts of the data pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. So there's three main pieces to any data pipeline. Like we're talking about data coming initially from a raw data lake or ocean of data. And that would be considered the origin, right? Where did this data start from? And what does this pipe need to connect it to? So an origin is really the point of entry for data and all data sources. So we talked about IoT devices, sensors. It's wherever that data originated from. Okay. Um, it could also be things like data warehouses or data lakes. Um, and a data pipe doesn't necessarily have to start at the beginning of where of wherever that data originated from initially, like where it was created. It could be any stage, right? So say you, and then there's the other piece, which is the destination, right? Which is the final point at which the data is transferred to. And that's depending on the use case can vary. It could be somebody who's consuming the data or it could be going to another business process to do something like cleansing or cleaning. Um, so let's, then, let's spend a little bit of time on that because I want to understand that a little bit better. You said it's the final point in which data is transferred. So like where, you know, to like a BI kind of platform to show the data, you know, of what's going on, like a dashboard or whatever, or no? It could be, right? Okay. It's, it's, think of your water analogy, right? Water comes from the ocean and then it goes to a treatment center and yep. there might be rivers and streams in between there. All these things are connected, right? Hmm. A data pipeline is the process of connecting from point A to point B. So it's not saying that it's going right from the ocean to your faucet, yep. but it's, it's going from one point to another and that's the origin and destination. Okay. Um, and then finally, the last part is the data flow which really is the movement of that data uh, along which like transformations are taking place, different processes are taking place. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we dive into ETLs. So can you give some like examples of, you know, the types of pipelines that, you know, exist? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two main different types. Um, there's multiple, right? We're, but we're going to talk about the two biggest ones. Batch which is when data lands into a source incrementally, right? So when you talk about a daily batch, it means a chunk of data was shipped from one point to another on a daily basis. Um, and this is typically where that extract, transform, load ETL process is performed, which we can talk more about. And then there's real time. And real time is using services like Kafka, or Lambda, which is a serverless compute or other tools from Google and Azure, Google Cloud Functions, right? And what they're doing is shipping data in real time. So every piece of data that comes in, somebody clicks on your website, that one piece of data is shot over to the next service without waiting for anything else. It's not incremental. So those real-time uh, technologies that you mentioned, like Kafka, the other two, they're similar. It's just a preference of what that company or whoever wants to use or? 
yeah, there's a, there's some differences, right? But they're all doing the same thing of shipping real-time data, Okay. right? Um, Lambda and some of the cloud, common cloud functions are what we call serverless capabilities. Mm. So what, what is serverless computing anyways, or what are those, what is it? Yeah, so we're kind of going a bit a bit off track, right? But like oh, you think of, no, no, it's good, it's good. When we think of serverless, right? Um, traditionally, when you run software to do things to data, you have to have a server or a computer. It's a fancy way of saying computer that runs those processes. Serverless is this thing where that originally I think was introduced by Amazon in 2014 or so, um, but I could be wrong there where um, you're not actually paying for a computer to run something. You're just mm -hmm. paying for that one function to transform that one piece of data and that's it, right? So if you think about like a good analogy is the difference between renting or buying a car, right? When you buy a car, you have to pay for, you have to put a deposit down, you have to pay your monthly installments and you have to own this device, which gets you from point A to point B. When you use serverless computing, it's kind of like renting a vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. You're only paying for it for that period of time that you need it to get you from point A to point B. Got it. Um, anything else on the, the serverless computing stuff or no? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest difference is that a cloud provider manages that server for you and that's why yeah. they're able to charge you versus you owning a computer that you run or manage yourself. Um, and, and really all of this is to help facilitate what we call ETL, which uh, stands for Extract, Transform, and Load. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that earlier, so I guess we can go into that now. Yeah, so Extract, Transform, and Load, and there's a bunch of different variations of this, is really the process of extracting data transforming it in some way, and then loading it into another system. So this is like a process that happens in most data pipelines. A really simple example would be, you've got, let's say, clicks on your website, like people clicking on a certain button, right? Mm -hmm. All those events are coming into you through a data pipeline. And through that data pipeline process, we might be transforming or calculating the aggregate of those clicks saying, all right, 10 actual clicks have come in. We're gonna send you the number 10, <laughs> saying that that's the amount of clicks, right? Yeah. Um, and so really, you know, the different pieces of ETL extract is, you know, the process of gathering all the data from these source systems. Transforming is converting the data into a format suitable for some sort of analysis or to be used by some other system. Uh, and it's not just about uh, doing things like aggregation, but also filtering, deduping, cleansing, validating data, um, calculations, performing summarizations or calculations, encrypting information or masking it for compliance and governance processes, or formatting the data into a place or form that's easier to be consumed. And then finally, load is just the process of after we finish that, where do we save the data? Where do we store it? Mm -hmm. um, what is that destination? So quick question on, you know, the people that manage it, I assume it's, you know, data stewards or engineers. 
how do they manage that data pipeline from a day-to-day basis? You know, it's it's incredibly complex, right? Uh, you know, they have to build monitoring tools to monitor how this data is and and at what frequency this data is coming from point A and headed to point B. Um, you think about your utilities providers, going back to that analogy, because I love it, right? <laughs> you know, it's not like the water for treatment plants are just launching plants and then never monitoring them or maintaining the quality of water going into your drinking mm-hmm. system. There's a whole team responsible for making sure that there's the right pH and there's not bad bacteria. And they have all these systems in place to make sure that the quality of water that ends up in your tap is of certain standards. And the same thing happens with data pipelines, right? There's these governing tools and we use things like Splunk or Grafana. There's you know catalogs, all these other systems that we put together in order to monitor the quality of data and making sure that we're delivering high quality data. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny as I kind of think about all these things that you're talking about, it all makes sense. You know, I get to hear this on a daily basis at her current jobs and, and the way you're kind of putting it together for me, it's like, oh, that's what Splunk does. But what's crazy about this, and, and that's just kind of the way it is, is when you look at like the water treatment, the water pipelines and everything else, there's different technologies or things you have to buy to make sure all this stuff is running correctly and stuff like that, right? Like, so it's the same with data. Like if you look at it as, well, if you want good quality water yeah, or good quality data, you're gonna have to have different technologies that do these things. Like you mentioned, you know, Splunk to kind of just monitor it. You might need a snowflake to kind of Ho- uh, not host it, you know, just clean, have that store it, yeah, store it, or do you know, things and, with it, right? So it's just, yeah, it, it's starting for me to to make more sense. But you know, before you would say Splunk and uh, you know uh, uh, all these different technologies, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell any of them do. But now it's it really is starting for me to make more sense. You know, for somebody that's not so technical. Um, so what are I mean, I think I, we, we know this, but I still think it should be asked, you know, what are some of the advantages of a data pipeline? Data I mean, pipelines? there are so many, right? Think about without a pipeline, you would be stuck with data all in one place and not able to ship it or do anything with it, hmm. right? Um, but, you know, diving into the actuals of a data pipeline and well-structured data pipelines, they provide an increase in data quality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, data can be monitored, it can be governed. Um, data pipelines also unlock incremental builds, right? Where they allow users to create different data flows for different purposes, right? Not everybody uses water for the same use case. Most people use it to just drink out of it and do their laundry or whatever, but there's commercial use cases. People need water in different quantities. It's the same thing with data, right? Data stewards and data engineers are managing and maintaining and customizing these pipelines for different use cases. Does that Um, have anything to do with, like, when you go back to people use it for different things? So, like, data virtualization allows you to pick and choose what data that you want to use, and that kind of is that right, or is that kind of? There's some of those things for sure. Like, not everybody should have access to the same data right? In an organization, there's trusted stakeholders, there's external parties, there's internal parties at different levels, there's business stakeholders. And so 
all these pipelines are designed and governed differently, right? Um, and you know, the, one of the other advantages to using pipelines in a is that it's repeatable, right? There's common templates that can be reused and repeated to create mm -hmm. the same type of delivery systems for shipping data. And typically, if that's architected correctly, you also have these standardized monitoring capabilities, which are layered on top of that. Um, and if you go back to that water analogy again, like the water treatment centers all have to talk to each other, right? There's flow issues, there's quality issues, and it's not even at a state level or a town level or a city level. It's at, uh, you know, as far as it goes till the data gets to the ocean, right? National levels that they have to worry about these things. Uh, it's the same exact thing with information, right? Yeah, no, that's good. What, what else? Is there any other kind of takeaways or thoughts? I mean, I think that one of the disadvantages, we didn't talk about disadvantages mm -hmm. of pipelines, as in their, in their own, just as a pipeline, right? All it is is talking about how we ship and transform information from one point to another. But one of the big challenges and disadvantages is without the proper structure and organization of this of these pipelines, things can quickly spin out of, of control, right? One data store does something one way, another one does something another way. They ship data in different ways to different people. There's a huge amount of communication and architecture that needs to go into designing one of these systems um, where data is managed and controlled and governed by a larger body. And that's where things, it's an advantage, but also a disadvantage, right? Things can go drastically wrong. And when you see a lot of these companies that are having trouble or failing to leverage data to their advantage, it's because there was nobody controlling that ecosystem. And if you think about like MDM and some of these other tools, they work as a platform to govern all these pipelines, right? And to standardize. So we can say, hey, there's a centralized unit in, across all this chaos, it's going to consolidate and standardize these pipelines in a way that provide governed, high consistency, reliable data. Now that was good. You know, I have some off the cuff questions I'm going to ask you, and if you can't answer them, you can just say next question. No, go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, this seems really big. You know, like one is how do you start? And then, you know, how do you start looking at the right tools to implement for, you know, uh, building a data pipeline? It just seems big to me. Yeah, I mean, it is big, it's, it's massive, right? I mean, the, the biggest steps, if you're starting off in something like this and you're trying to build your first data pipeline, you're an engineer, I think the biggest thing, that, the biggest takeaway to start with is do your research understand if you're in a larger organization, what is the current ecosystem? How can you contribute or play with that ecosystem? But also really clearly define what are your business objectives in building a new pipeline, right? Is it scalable? Will it be reusable? What's the effort required for it? Who's gonna manage it and own it later? You know, what happens if you leave the organization? Is there a standard practice that can be followed? Somebody else can take up that work and it doesn't just become this unmanaged system. Um, you know, in more complicated pipelines, identify the processes in your pipeline and the interdependencies with other components, right? Reusability is so important in this space. You are creating systems that are automated um, that should be as self-sustainable as possible. 
um, you know, establish a process and a schedule, whether it's real-time data coming in or incremental, how is the information going to come into the system? Make sure that that's a repeatable, consistent pattern in whichever schema or, or choice that you choose. Um, and then again, really just make sure that you have thought about and articulated how you're going to monitor the quality of that data as it flows through a system, right? Well, you need to be able to spot potential is, uh, issues, um, you know, do integrity checks, make sure security protocols and governance are being followed and, and start by asking the right questions, right? This yeah. is a complex space and it can easily be something that without involving the right people and asking the right questions, you're actually doing the business a disservice. Yeah, that's that's good. What are and, and maybe have, have you ever like designed a data pipeline or developed I have. one? I have. And when I was first what starting that, out, what did that look like? Yeah, when yeah. you first started out. When I first started out, I I did exactly what you you shouldn't do, and I designed the <laughs> data course. pipeline on my own with my small team, and we did it in a silo, right? Mm -hmm. And we did it without monitoring involved and we plugged in production processes without <laughs> informing the right parties and we broke things and it was yeah. so painful you know we spent nights and weekends you know running behind the scenes trying to build in this testing and monitoring and governance and standardization after to keep up with the demand of this pipeline that then couldn't be turned off because people were reliant on it and i think that in especially small to medium-sized companies, but even larger companies. This is a problem that everybody struggles For with. For sure, larger companies. Yeah, and especially the, the organizations, you know, at every level you run into these problems. And it's a trade-off between how much do you want to standardize, which is slower and more political and takes more time versus just getting something done and breaking things, right? Um, and, and definitely... You know, when I when I look at look back on these choices, I would start to measure and really try to have more forethought of yeah. who's going to actually consume this data and what is it going to be used for? Is this something that if it breaks, the whole company is going to go down for a period of time? Or is it like they a customer may not get an email that wasn't very important to them? Right. It's when you <laughs> hear engineers like, just let me build it. We don't need to buy this. It's like <laughs> Yeah, and, so and using using managed systems, unless you have the experience and knowledge to build them yourself, yeah. and you've gone through this process, I would highly recommend going with a managed system because there's so much unrealized work with building things yourself. And it is worthwhile in certain use cases, right? If you're a super large organization and you know how to build and you've got the right people who can maintain building out the most complex pipelines, right, for a specific use case, by all means go for it, but make sure you know what you're getting into because there is so much hidden work and pain and stress with not using a managed system. And even with a managed system, you still run into these challenges of having, someone has to maintain it, right? And be watching these dashboards and processes to make sure they're working. Yeah, it's maybe, you know, I don't know if I completely agree with the statement of, yeah, if, if you have the expertise, do it. Uh, just because those expertise people leave at some point, you know, and, yeah. and so, you know, if somebody built something from scratch, a technology or, you know, a, a home built technology, then somebody else is going to have to learn that, you know, and then it just becomes way more complex when if you had like a SAS or something like that already there that can already do the work, you know, I mean, to me, that's, it's my own personal, I know engineers don't believe that. 
Um, no, but, so Chris, just let me interrupt you really quickly. Yep. When I say build a system, do not build a system with one person ever, or even a small yeah. group of people. If you're going to build a system, think about it like a product, right? Mm. You are building a product yeah. that needs to be maintained and supported by your customers, which could be internal or external, but it is a product, right? And you have to think yeah. about it that way, because if, if you think of it as a function or something internal that you're going to walk away from in five years or whatever, you're just doing the company. Nobody thinks that though. You know, they, they yeah. think, oh, you know, I can build this cheaper and maybe it's cheaper for the first few years, you know, but as, as more and more data comes in and, you know, uh, can it handle it? You know, what are you having to do to kind of maintain it and stuff? Like that? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very leery to I'm like, I don't know if that's ever the right decision. You know, maybe. Yeah. Um, so something that you're very good at and, and have know a lot about is data quality. Um, how do you ensure when you look at, you mentioned this a little bit before, but uh, like, how do you ensure like data quality and reliability in data pipelines? How do you make sure it's good? You know, what's the things that you have to do, you know, to, to kind of when you're monitoring all that stuff, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, it's, it's a huge kind of open-ended question, right? It depends entirely on the data and the use cases. So if you're thinking about any pipeline, start with the consumers. Who's the consumer today? And what will the consumer look like in five to 10 years? You know, what are the other possible consumers within the organization or outside the organization that you want to account for when you're building this thing? Um, and then step back from that and say, okay, what would they care about, right? How much are they going to build on top of it? It's, it's like predicting the weather, honestly. It's really hard to understand and know what things will evolve to over time. But if you start yeah. with at least a preface of, this is your hypothesis of how this data will be consumed, or this is the only things that we're going to allow people to consume it for if you're in more of a governed, uh, controlled body, then you can build your data quality on top of that, right? Mm. And I always look at data quality as everybody says, oh, well, we want the best, highest quality data and should never make a mistake, sure in an ideal world. But when you have competing priorities, fighting for your time, you have to make an, an informed decision based off of the use cases and the risk associated and the cost associated with that data running into issues with it later on. So if it's a very low risk thing, you might need, not need to put as much infrastructure and thought into the quality. If it's something that is critical to your systems, Make sure that you're going through the process and the rigor of looking at every detail of that piece of information and splitting it up in different ways. Like I've, in, to give you an example, because I think that's what you're looking for, yeah. a simple data quality check could just be, is the data coming in, right? Is it coming in? Great. The data is coming in at the same time. We don't care about what's coming in. We just care about it's coming in. If it's something that is driving the whole business, classify the data, break it down into subcomponents is the same shape of data, type of data coming in, you know, is the same variation of data coming in per day. If it's customers, you probably want to understand, like if it's registrations from customers, are they coming in from a distributed geographical location, mm. right? Are they coming in at all times of the day? Um, are they coming in doing the same actions or are they taking different actions, right? You probably need to seem a lot more together yeah. to define what does quality really mean? Um, so yeah, it, it completely varies, but it feels um, so nebulous, Michael. it is, it is a bit nebulous, right? Because <laughs> like... 
I mean, think your about your data quality could be different than this definition. And pipeline is a little bit. I don't know, man. It's it's a uh, it's tough. Think, think about if you know if the supplier of water, going back to that analogy, had yeah. a thousand different types of water, and you said, "Tell me what quality means to supply a thousand different types of water." Well, it'd be difficult because there's a different. There's probably ten thousand different ways that those different types of water can be used, right? <laughs> right. And so all of a sudden, you've got this problem where you're looking at all of these use cases that may have different variations of the definition of quality. What is valuable to them? Yeah, I would think that the the more uh, an expert does some of this stuff. I mean, they they can really understand the, the the use cases eventually become okay. This is what we need, you know. Like when I yep. go and build communities, for example, I know exactly what to go do in inside an organization to build that thing. Yes, there's different ways to do it. There's different, but same thing as data, you know. Like even me trying to get the data out of my platform to stream over to, to Tableau, it's just yeah. it's hard enough to do that. It, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, if you think about like this, the textbook, um, what is data quality, right? What are the metrics people often give? It's like consistency, yeah. accuracy, completeness, timeliness, validity, and uh, uniqueness, right? And so those sound great in theory, but what does accuracy mm -hmm. mean? It's essentially the same thing as quality, right? When we talk about accuracy or when we talk about validity. Right, it, it depends on the context of the data. Somebody did um, say on this one piece of data, how accurate does it need to be? <laughs> I was like, yeah. well, it came out here and it needs to come out that way. Well, you know, we can't really do it like that because it's going through this, you know, to from here to to Google BigQuery to to Tableau to Sales, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that makes sense though. You know, is uh, I got two more questions for you. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. So far, so good. You, you, you've done really well. So thanks for bearing with me. But um, when you're building uh, uh, some of this stuff, you know, what are some common challenges when building and operating a data pipeline? And how do you address that? Yeah, so especially if you're starting from scratch, I think it yep. would be thinking about those systems. We talked a little bit about that, right? Working yep. backwards from that problem statement identifying all the problem statements. You know, one of the things that is so common, and this is at every level, not just people that are starting out, is you build something, you build a data pipeline, you build data architecture, and you build it for a scoped view of things, of, of consumers, when in actuality, there was a lot more people within the organization that wanted to use that data in different ways. And you have to then think about how do I make it bigger? Do I need to build a separate data pipeline for them? Um, so making sure you talk to the right stakeholders ahead of time mm -hmm. and um, and representing them when you make decisions. And this is at the large scale. I mean, at the smaller scale, thinking about things like how do you enable people to create their own and do their own analytics where they might be able to create their own small pipelines for low risk activities. Um, distributing that work, right? One centralized team cannot effectively run the entire organization. There's just too many needs and too many use cases. Um, so how, you, how do you democratize data a little bit while maintaining control on the pieces and the pipelines that really matter that if they went down, 
the whole business would be, you know, in trouble. Um, so I think that's, you know, when you start off, start thinking about like, what is the scope? What is the cost? What is the risk? Um, I would start with those, those types of questions, asking yourself those questions when you map something like that out. I feel like a big challenge would be finding the right people and stand and, and all, you know, people come and go in big work or in any organization. So ha keeping that talent has got to be really tough. So, you know, some of the ways to address that is maybe you're always hiring or maybe you're always teaching and, and getting others to kind of cross learn, you know, different aspects of, you know, the data stuff. So if they have one job, well, you know, maybe they spend 10 or 20% on this data pipeline stuff, you know, or whatever it is, you know, to, to make sure you always have the talent, you know, that's yeah. a huge one. Yeah. You know? that, that, I mean, if you're talking about people management and distributing yeah. risk, absolutely. Right. Um, and in addition to that, I've seen it many different ways. Some people have rotating careers where one mm -hmm. week out of the year, or two weeks out of the year, you go try another job so that there's some distributed understanding of how one or two weeks is made. not enough for this stuff, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like you think about <laughs> I it, hear too, what you're saying. Yeah everybody has priorities within the organization yeah. and the truth of the matter is some of this is inevitable there is no silver bullet that i've seen to date that says hey we are going to you know take all the brain power out of the smartest people who built all this stuff and distribute it across the organization so that we never lose anyone right and we never we never have any siloed services that are running that nobody knows what they're doing it just doesn't happen there's too much work to be done and there's a really a huge balance right now also between, especially in older companies, maintenance and distribution of existing systems and all the net new demands that are coming in from the business, right? So you've yeah. built these pipelines. As a data stewardship team, you have to manage them. But at the same mm -hmm. time, you're getting N number of requests to build these new innovative things. Exactly. And so it's, it's like, you know, I always say that data stewards are the unsung heroes of any business because they're kind of in this role where nobody really understands how much goes into keeping the lights on in an organization like that mm. and how much of a balancing act they have to take with their time and resources. Um, and it's a cost center. At the end of the day, they make no money right off of this. So it's, it's an unappreciated space and it's difficult to maintain that traction, to really have a culture of a highly functional data org. And I would say that some of the companies that have done a better job at this, they force all of their employees to have a certain degree of understanding of data, whether that's knowing SQL yeah. or being able to ask the right questions or you know, leveraging self-service technologies, but putting some of that ownership on engineering, some of that ownership on the consumers of the data, the business stakeholders, and making everybody responsible for at least questioning and trying to own some piece of data quality, that's the closest I've seen to being able to create a sustainable system that will grow throughout time. Yeah. And kind of the last question is, is to kind of bring this all back around to real life, right? You know, you mentioned that, you know, in our podcast, we're, we're trying to make this a real life that we talked about data pipelines and kind of what it means. And we sort of, you know, put out some, you know, water, you know, data and water kind of being similar in, in a way in the treatment that you have to go through to get clean data, clean water, et cetera. Any, any examples that you can think about from a company or let's say a pharma insurance, I don't know, retail, whatever space that 
can give us from, hey, there's all this data here that is not clean. And this is kind of maybe not exactly how they do it, but it's maybe how they would do it to clean it. And then um, and then this is what they would use it for, I don't know, marketing or sales or whatever. Anything, any thoughts come to mind from that? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about the actual technical steps of building a pipeline for an industry, a specific yep. industry. Or maybe it's not probably... the technical, but it's more about garbage out to garbage or to clean in, you know, like it's all yeah. this garbage data into clean into, and now they're using it to do this. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, so the, the biggest thing is really you have to constantly remind yourself of the business value of data, right? Yeah. As soon as a piece of data becomes a row and not a business concept, it's irrelevant, right? And that's when you hear this term data swamp, right? You had a mm -hmm. lake and it turned into a data swamp. Right. It means you have unusable data that ah. has no lineage, no context. And so if you think about like the takeaways of this, like what could somebody really do to, to create high quality data, the individual use cases are gonna vary so much, it's not worth talking about right now. But what we could say is minimize the centers of data, right? Reduce the amount of centers, which means places that data gets stored and works as like a transactional facilitator of data as much as possible. Always think about how you can centralize more of that because having multiple redundant platforms quickly becomes costly and leads to inconsistencies and disconnects across an organization. Um, maintain data lineage. It's such a hot topic right now. Metadata, you hear this keyword all the time. We need metadata, right? As applications evolve, there's bound to have change, right? And change it, who's touching the data, how it's being transformed, right? And you were just talking about this. Like, what if someone leaves? Yeah. Fields are added and depreciated all the time in every different level of this ecosystem. So by labeling the data with sensible descriptions and documentation, at least somebody who's new can go back and say, okay, we received this data here. It doesn't seem right. Here's all the lineage associated with what happened to it, right? Back to the ocean. Here's every change, every tweak that was captured along the way. So I can trace my steps back. Um, and then like, I would say finally, like maintain data context, right? Yeah. It's so important to keep track of what the data is being used for and the use cases and throughput of those pipelines, right? So I would say let each unit define what quality means for them and what is the business concept of the pipeline and then apply and enforce standards as much as possible, right? Before data enters the pipeline, once it's consumed, while it's in transit, uh, and make sure that context is maintained as much as possible, right? Well, we now come to the end of data hurdles, but that was really good, Michael. I mean, I'm sure you're kind of wore out. I love this stuff. I could go on for multiple episodes. I think if anyone has questions on pipelines, how they work, how to dig deeper, you know, feel free to reach out to either of us. This is an exciting topic. It's always challenging, especially if you're new. So um, yeah, I hope this was helpful. And uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to ping us or shoot us an email and we'll do another topic on this. That's great. Thanks, Michael. And thank you for t tuning in to another Data Hurdles Now 
please rate and review us. We need all the ratings and reviews we can get. So I'm Chris Detzel and I'm Michael Burke. Thanks for joining, Michael.